Welcome to the Arts Hubbub, a monthly look inside Australian arts and artists. I'm your host, George Dunford. With social media letting anyone tell you what they think of your art, it's never been easier to give feedback, and especially the negative kind. But we forget that criticism, good criticism, can be a way to make your work better and even improve a whole art form. So in this month's Arts Hubbub, we're talking about that critical role of feedback. We have an intimate natter with visual artist Abdul Abdullah about how his work has been not just criticised, but censored. In The Nudge, we explore how critics and artists deal with writing and receiving those reviews that cut really close. We chat with Joe Case, who straddles several roles as a writer who's written memoir, but also regularly writes book reviews and has worked for publishers and bookshops. We ask poet, playwright and critic Alison Crogan about the feedback that's nourished her work and the criticism that she really didn't need to hear. We also talk with Claire Watson, the Artistic Director of Black Swan Theatre Company, about listening to criticism, when it's most useful, and remembering that ultimately it's just one person's opinion. Abdul Abdullah is no stranger to criticism. The Perth-born artist has been challenging audiences, critics, and even the odd conservative politician over the years. He became known for his 2011 Archibald finalist portrait of Waleed Ali capturing Wally deep in thought on the backdrop of a white canvas. Recently, Abdul's pair of works, All Let Us Rejoice and For We Are Young and Free, featured in the Violent Salt exhibition, showing two Australian soldiers embossed with smiley emojis. Our visual arts editor, Gina Fairley, caught up with Abdul just before the opening of the Adelaide Biennale and asked about the Violent Salt exhibition, which caused so much controversy. These works were actually pulled from the exhibition, as I understand, what caused all the fuss? So initially it was a local councillor uh, who came into the space and he took great offence at the work. He took offence at the imagery. He said that I was portraying them as clowns because I'd used that smiling emoji. And he also took uh, offence at a few of the words I'd used. He, he took offence at me describing our wars in Iraq and, and Afghanistan as invasive wars which I think is the dictionary definition. If you go to war in another place, it's an invasive war. And he also didn't like the fact that I said agents, that they are agents. But again, I think he has a problem with the dictionary, not necessarily what I'm saying. And what I suspect and what I feel, and it's just an opinion, uh, like, is that uh, potentially if my name was something else, if it wasn't Abdul Abdullah, I don't think he would have been so offended at my participation in the conversation. I think his coming to the space was offended that someone with a name like mine, with an assumed heritage or whatever he thought that I was, uh, the threat that he imagined me to be, that I had any contribution to that to that discourse, that was enough for him to sort of go off. And then he went to media and social media and to his federal member, which is George Christensen, and then George Christensen, the senator, also went to social media and the media, and it kind of blew up from there. Initially, I sort of, like, I'm very open to having open interpretation, like I have a bit of ambiguity in all my work and I like alternative readings of the work. Uh, that sort of thing fascinates me and I think the, the experience is all the richer with all these different takes on what you're trying to say or what or people interpreting your message. But when it came down to threats being made to the staff at the gallery, people were coming in, that the mayor was visited by the local RSL and the local motorcycle club uh, and when the idea of safety question of actual physical safety came in the mayor then decided to take the work down and um it was really disheartening i understood his decision but i i feel that the work is totally mischaracterized by someone using a very powerful platform um 
and they're not really giving a shit afterwards because they've made their mess and then they can walk away from it and then it's fine. Exactly. Is this what criticism has become today? Yeah, it's sort of, it's less about a discussion and more about um, just saying things. And when you've got someone who's got a platform, like a federal member, it's really hard to, to go into a discussion. It's one of the reasons that I won't, like I've been asked to go on Q&A and like that type of platform and I wouldn't ever feel comfortable sitting across from someone who's a professional politician, who's a professional speaker and I'm, you know, I'd explore things with all my anxieties and insecurities and it's like in my <laughs> visual arts practice, I, I feel like if I was standing across like someone who's like, whose job it is to to take things apart in in an unconstructive way, which I think they, they do, uh, I think I would be severely outgunned and that's not something I want to participate in. What most surprised you about that attack on your work? Well, it was surprising in that I didn't expect those particular works uh, to cause offence. Like, I've, I've had contentious works in, in the past, but I've never really gone out looking for controversy with my work. It just seems to be something that follows it around. It's beginning with a painting I did of Walid Ali in the Archibald in 2011, that's when I started to get hate mail, and it was, again, a very uncontentious, like, conservative painting of, a, of, a, of an author, because that's how I knew him. And people took great offence at that, and that was pretty much entirely to do with my name and what that represented in their imaginations. And then, actually, that's been the biggest sort of furor is people, they see the name, they might even see an image of me and they make a whole bunch of assumptions about what I represent and how threatening I am to their existence and to their culture or whatever, and then they, they will take offence at that work being shown in public. And that's happened quite a few times. When Abdul first started getting flack for his Archibald portrait, it was actually Walid who helped him deal with it. After I got that really negative response, I was speaking to him and he was really supportive and said that he knew about my background, he knew about what I was interested in, and, he's, and one of the things that he said is that he gets this all the time and it's pointless to get angry about it, but if you respond with your strengths and your strength is your creative practice, so do that, and that gave me the confidence to to have a shift in my practice. This whole conversation about, you know, violent salt and the Archibald Prize, and, you know, that's pretty much a decade since that first experience that you've had. Do you think that the climate of criticism is actually eroding and that kind of skewed opinion-making or trolling, as we like to call it, is actually on the rise? It's blurring what criticism is? Yeah, because there's not that much critical analysis in Australia. We don't have much written about work. It's a changing landscape. Uh, and it's really, it's quite hard to define. Like, that's a really hard question to answer. Like, because I, I wonder if it was all like this, it was always like this, but now we've got platforms to, to publish really simply and really easily. But then again, in, like, in regards to this particular case, politicians like George Christensen have always been around and they've always attacked arts funding. And really, that was what it was about for him. Although he took my work as an excuse, what it came down to was that he wanted to look at the funding for the show, look at the funding for the gallery and decide what artwork gets put up and which what artwork is not allowed to be put up due to his particular conservative sensibilities. So, You talk about hijacking through criticism in a way, the message that really is on the table. 
I understand that you come from a family of veterans and, you know, servicemen in your family. How important is that idea of context and actually when when you are using a critical voice to actually not just talk about the moment but the context? It is true. Like I've, I've uh, ancestry that are veterans. I've got extended family that are currently serving. But for me... In this particular case, that should be beside the point in that I should, regardless of that, I could have, like I'm a seventh generation Australian, but I could have arrived yesterday or I could live somewhere else and I should still be able to make that contribution to the conversation without being sort of denied that access or denied that opportunity uh, and, uh, yeah, censored or suppressed. And it's, it's a very frustrating situation. So what do you think is the good recipe then for a good review? A deep consideration of the work, I think. I, I think to be, I think a, a review that's too dismissive or doesn't really analyse things, but it's hard because it's all so subjective. And, and I, yeah, it's it's hard to know what makes a good review these days or what's a, like. And there's not the same space for long form reviews apart from online. There is, I guess, but like, do do people read long form reviews anymore? Yeah, so it's all very short. I remember in when I was studying, uh, when I was doing my undergrad in Western Australia between 2006 and 2008 in that time in the middle they got rid of the arch review section in the west australian so it was like a, it was the end of an era in a way mm-hmm. and i don't know how much effect it had but it was something we read every wednesday was the arch review of what their journalists would go and visit shows and then review them and would read about it but then that stopped and there was no uproar about it it just sort of disappeared and i think that's happened across the country we're here at the adelaide biennale and you've just unveiled a, a suite of pieces for Monster Theatres curated by Lee Robb. Why was it important for you to show those works and what did you want to say through them? So the work is, is continuing an ongoing investigation for me in the way that monsters have been used in cinema as stand-ins for broad societal anxieties, whether it's immigration, epidemics or the environment whether it's Godzilla and a nuclear apocalypse or whether it's it's like World War Z. These are things that are are speaking to very contemporary and very current issues and fears in society. And this is also continuing a fascination that I have with the film series Planet of the Apes and how I was drawn to that particular series in the way that that perception of that monstrous other or that, that sort of threat that exists on the horizon and in the dehumanising portrayal of that threat. Um, my monster is sitting in a, in alone in a theatre, so he's either the first to arrive or the last to leave, but looking to actively participate while at the same time being excluded. And he's kitted out in all fake designer streetwear. For me, as an attempt to sort of wanting to fit in, but inherently not being able to do so. So playing to a few different things and the audience is, is invited to sit with the monkey man. And also uh, he's looking towards a stage where there's a live microphone. We're not, we haven't published anywhere that the microphone is live, but it is live, so it's brimming with potential. People would be allowed to go up there and say their piece or sing a song or do a bit of comedy or do a poem or whatever they like. For a piece of criticism. Yeah, they can criticise the work. If someone was to write a big piece of criticism about the work, that then they hated it, that's great. <laughs> awesome. Just don't threaten the gallery stuff. <laughs> that was Abdul Abdullah speaking with Gina Fairley at the Adelaide Biennale. 
The exhibition will reopen on the 8th of June at the Art Gallery of South Australia for an extended period. We hope you have the opportunity to see Abdul's controversial art again as our galleries start to reopen. Looking for some stimulation and inspiration to keep the cabin fever at bay? Check out the National Portrait Gallery's free online program, The Amazing Face, a 14-day dive into portraiture. Through text, visuals and audio, alongside activities to boost your creativity and resourcefulness, learn the language of portraiture at portrait.gov.au. Alright, time for the nudge. Your monthly dose of how-tos for your practice from the artists who've been there. As Abdul's mentioned, criticism can take some unlikely forms, and some of them can of course be constructive. There's that capital C criticism, reviews that speak to our audiences and encourage them to see a show or buy a book. Look, people do still sometimes bring in, you know, their, their little folded up bit of paper that they, they took out of the, the newspaper and, and asked for a book. So it happens less than it used to. I mean, I've been a bookseller for 25 years, I don't know. <laughs> and it used to happen more often. Um, but it does still happen. It kind of, it depends on the book. I mean, obviously there are more... That's Joe Case, a bookseller, reviewer and author of the memoir Boomer and Me. Like many artists, Jo wears a lot of hats and finds herself on the receiving end of criticism as well as creating reviews herself. I think there's a real difference between consumer criticism, Goodreads, Amazon, people on talking on Twitter, Instagram and review reviews. I think what I try to do and what I, I advise authors to do is don't read the Goodreads reviews. <laughs> Unless you've got a really thick skin, because that is where people are talking about what they like or don't like. And I don't think it's as useful for you because it is based on emotion. Adelaide-based, Joe writes for the Australian Book Review and The Australian, among others. These kind of reviews aim to influence an audience, those decisions people are making in a bookshop or what to order online. Joe likes to approach each book with the mindset of a reader, not a critic, right off the bat. I like to first read a book without my pencil in hand, just read it as a reader, and then go through and read it again with pencil. And I, I used to copy out quotes in a notebook and little comments, and then I would go back and take all of the quotes and distill them into, you know, try and find a pattern in them, mm -hmm. and then distill them and make notes from that, and then start my review. These days, Alison Crogan balances her time as a theatre critic, playwright and fantasy novelist. But in her early career as a poet, she was fortunate enough to have someone who'd regularly critique her work. Once every few months, she would take her poems to a very particular mentor. He was a Jesuit. He was very tough. And he taught me an awful lot in terms of how to critique my own work. And he was always you know, enormously honest and sometimes very harsh, but it was always from a place of generosity. So I suppose for me, critique from that very early point was something that was folded into my own practice and that I saw as a generous act. It isn't always a generous act, but I think it ought to be a generous act of that someone else is paying attention close attention to a piece of work 
and that may or may not be useful. I mean, I didn't always agree with him and in the end it was like I didn't agree with him at all, but that wasn't the point. He taught me how to think about my work not as something that was part of me, if you like. Anything you write is from you, but it's not you. And if you want other people to read it, you need to be able to separate yourself a bit and look at it. And that's quite a difficult thing to learn, I think, for any artist. It took me a really long time. That critical practice has to be enfolded into your artistic practice. When receiving criticism, it's obviously important to see the perspective it comes from. Alison's early experience helped her build up a strong separation from her work that actually toughened her up. She was then able to perceive and critique her own work, which ultimately made her a better writer. But she's also learnt that not all feedback can be useful. I once had a terrible editor for one of my novels and it was instead of feeling that I was working with someone to make the work better, I felt I was defending my work against all these really shocking, reasonless ideas <laughs> that they wanted to inflict on it and make it, make it worse. That's the worst feeling in the world. It's incredibly stressful. So you need to, if, if you're making a work, particularly writing, but any kind of work, you need to initially work with people you trust, I think. criticism of a work in progress needs trust and honesty in the right measure. Praise or support can help bolster ideas and give artists confidence to create or keep working. Alison is fortunate to have a trusted critic of her work during its development, her partner, playwright Daniel Keane, with whom she shares work and gets feedback. We've been together for a very long time now and um, we've always been colleagues right from the beginning as writers. And so we are each other's first readers. Like we always give each other our work before we give it to anyone else, just as a kind of sounding board. What do you reckon? And we expect of each other that we'll be honest in our responses. Yeah, it's, it, it's sometimes it's annoying because you're in the middle of something. And just can you read it? Because I want to get rid of it now. But um, yeah, that's just lucky. It's really important for me to be able to just not be stuck in my own subjectivity before I pass something on. You need a friend who can do that. Now, you might not be lucky enough to have a live-in critic who can look at your work, but that idea of first reader, that initial audience, is vital for most artists we spoke to. It's the person they trust, but also who gets them and can strike the balance between criticism and support. But once your work is out there, should you listen to those bad reviews or that unhelpful feedback? Joe suggests taking it in gradually and to have two looks at criticism, even those reviews that might really wound. I think what I would say is listen to it, allow yourself to just have an emotional reaction, but Maybe then go back to it and think about it, like, is there anything in there that you can take away from it as valid criticism? And, and then let it go. And I know it's not that easy, but I think that's the best way to deal with it. I've always seen feedback on a spectrum and whenever you get 
negative feedback, there's always somebody, even if it's just one person, um, giving you positive feedback. That's Claire Watson. She spent her career working in theatre in a variety of roles. So recognising that we're talking about subjectivity because it's because it's personal opinions that we're that we're talking about. But I think I've always tried to filter criticism and criticism that c- could sting in a way that allows me to grow and develop as a maker and an artist and a thinker. And I've always tried to remain as open as possible because really the moment you become defensive the moment you get hurt you kind of shut down and you can't listen properly and um and i think maybe that's why i've developed a sort of thick skin around it because i recognize that there's value in everybody's opinion and if we can find a way to listen and if we can find a way to absorb the value of that opinion yeah, we can grow and change. After working as a freelance director for the likes of Melbourne Theatre Company and Malthouse Theatre, and a stint as the artistic director at St Martin's, Claire Watson took the helm of Black Swan State Theatre Company in 2017. As the artistic leader of a state company, she prepared herself for a greater level of public scrutiny and the criticism that accompanies a position at that level. I guess my experience as a theatre director is whenever you're putting a work on stage, you subject yourself to scrutiny and you have to be um, open to criticism. And you recognise that with that criticism is the potential for growth and change and development as an artist. And it's the same thing as an artistic director. I think you have to listen to criticism. You have to be prepared to shift with that criticism too, because you're making, absolutely you're making work as an artist with a personal perspective and a personal voice, but you're making it for an audience. So being able to listen to that audience, I think is essential. Claire, like many makers, has developed a thick skin when it comes to criticism and worked out who to listen to. The audience she's accountable to is more important than Twitter or speculation about the board that controls her company. She's had bad reviews of her plays and learnt to pull out the useful elements. When a reviewer comes to a work with an expectation of what it should be and then writes a review based on whether or not their expectation has been met, I would see that as a less good review. But I think when when a reviewer comes and sees the work and thinks about the intention of the makers and writes to the effectiveness of that and the relevance of that, that's a great piece of writing. And that's one that I find really interesting to read. But our last word should go to the critics. After the exhibition is hung, the curtain goes down and the book hits the shelves, those reviews keep art alive and encourage a new conversation around the work. Much like Abdul's call to his audience to get up and participate in his work with a live microphone. But the audience and the critics don't always get it right. I've given a bad review to someone before and read it afterwards and thought, oh, I don't know that that was entirely fair just because I don't know if I was considering it enough in the context of what that writer was trying to do and was considering it more in terms of what I would have liked to see or what I would have expected from that. So I think that's a real trap. And I I just want to put my hand up and say, I have, I learned from my mistakes. (laughs) 
At Arts Hub, we've been supporting Australian art for 20 years. Our team of writers and journalists keep the arts community informed and connected, a vital role in these challenging times. You can support our work by joining or giving a membership to a friend at support.artshub.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Arts Hub Up, and we'll be back next month. If you'd like to give us a review on iTunes, we're open to your criticism, feedback, or, you know, support. Critical thoughts came from our guests Abdul Abdullah, Alison Crogan, Claire Watson, and Joe Case. Thanks for your generous ideas. Our thanks also to the Adelaide Biennale. The Arts Hub Up is produced by Michelle Macklem, Richard Watts, Gina Fairley, Sabine Bricks, and me, George Dunford. Our theme music is Chasing Waterfalls by Tim Shield. Music in this episode also by the other stars. We've recently made all of our coverage of COVID-19 free outside of the paywall, so you can stay connected during isolation at artshub.com.au. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the Kulin Elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. <laughs>